Nobody dreamed who would care Without any evidence His flaws were many He was full of confidence Some people haven't any Didn't have much common sense Welcome back to Influenced by Kurosawa, where we're exploring films inspired by Akira Kurosawa. We've been covering films inspired by Seven Samurai, and today we're tackling Pixar's animated 1998 classic, A Bug's Life. I'm your host, and I like to store my nuts for possible future use, if you know what I mean. <laughs> my co-host is Guy, who is pretty sure that this time he can create a financially successful flea circus. Yeah, sex sells. <laughs> Hello, guy. Hello, Ron. So, uh, uh, I'd have to go back and count. We've done a bunch of these now, the Seven Samurai films. We're almost to the end. We have one more thing to watch. There's many more we could watch, but, you know, you got to choose a cutoff at some point. Oh, sure. But uh, it's a pretty good one. So, you know, I have some weird personal connection to this. Uh, a Bug's Life was Pixar's second film, and... I was working for Steve Jobs at Next and then Apple back when both Next and Pixar were kind of failed companies, right? Um, Pixar, mm. he had bought it from George Lucas, who I think during his divorce, he needed to generate some cash. So he sold mm. off his animation division and that that became Pixar. And there's a whole weird story. There's a, there's a good book called Creative Inc., it's not entirely accurate, but it's really good by the CEO. So the thing was that Jobs just wanted to, like, sell animation software or something, right? I mean, he was used to selling hardware and software, so he just wanted to develop software and everybody would be an animator. It was kind of a weird idea, but, you know, <laughs> the people working there who had been working there from the time that it was under George Lucas, they wanted to make movies. They knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to make the first fully animated uh, computer animated movies because at the time you know there were like a couple of animated films that had put in like a scene or two and they would be like i remember um oh what's the series about the future family the jetsons yeah the jetsons there was a jetsons movie and they kind of made a big deal out of oh we have a scene that's fully computer animated and it was like these mm. you know perfectly spherical things in space and all that. And it was, it was very early. So the people at Pixar wanted to do the first real animated computer film. Jobs was not really interested in that. He just wanted to sell the software and stuff. Uh, in the meantime, they were making these little um, short films, two, three minutes, that would win awards you know, at film festivals and, and get Oscars for Best Animated Short or something. Uh, but again, it wasn't tickling their fancy, but Jobs wasn't interested in that direction. In fact, he said, stop doing that. We're going to make commercials. And they 
made commercials hmm. um, for uh, like the mouthwash company and all that. Yeah. But then what happened was uh, they pitched Toy Story to Disney and Disney worked with them and kind of guided them because the, the funny thing is that as smart and intelligent as these people were, none of them had released a film. They didn't know how to do it. They were literally doing things like going to uh, script, you know, conferences with the guy who, you know, would, would teach how to structure a script and stuff. I mean, they really didn't know what mm. they were doing. And Disney, you know, helped them and guided them. And in collaboration with Disney, they ended up doing Toy Story. And Toy Story was a huge, huge success. And this was at the time when Next was really in trouble. And all of a sudden, you know, Pixar is taking off. And Steve chose to do a ridiculous thing, which is on the basis of one film, he took Pixar public. Now, this was at the hmm. time when going public was like all the thing, right? Because there was this initial period where tech started to go crazy. And, and there was this browser called Netscape and the company went public. And, you know, they made huge amounts of money. Their stock went way up. And that was the first one. And that's, hmm. that's what kind of started the whole craze for everybody in Silicon Valley wanting to go public and everything. So Steve took Pixar public. It became a billion-dollar company. It restored his fortunes. He had actually been running out of money. Hmm. And he actually, and this is, and I have some inside stuff here because a lot of people don't realize this. He just wanted to get rid of Next. He, he, it had failed. He didn't want to deal with it anymore. He wanted to go off and he wanted to turn Pixar into Disney. Hmm. He, he literally said this, you know, we're going to, we're going to compete with and, and beat Disney at their own game. So he was spending little time. At Next, he was spending most of his time at Pixar, which pissed off the people at Pixar because um, <laughs> he was critical to their success in that, you know, he made like a deal with Disney after this. It was incredible. They got a 50% deal with Disney, right, where Pixar got co-branding, which no one had ever gotten before. So when the film started, you had both Disney and Pixar um, brands there. And nobody, hmm. you know, always before if Disney bought you, it was a, you know, it was a Disney film. Um, and so Steve made that deal with them, uh, and they hadn't bought Pixar at the time. Um, and, and so, you know, business wise, he was critical to their success, but well, he understood how to work with hardware and software engineers and put together, you know, that kind of product. He did not understand how to make a movie. And so Mm. he, he would like, uh, you know. Always, and this has happened with every Pixar film, right? There'd be major story problems and halfway through everything's falling apart and they have to like redo the whole thing, you know, and figure out how to make it work. Mm. Well, he would like call in the writer and yell at them in a board meeting you know, to get them to mm. fix the story. Well, you know, that's not how creatives as we, as we call them, right? Word. You don't, you don't call them into a board meeting and yell at them and suddenly they get a better story idea, right? Right. Um, that worked for engineers, but not, not so much creative people. So the people at Pixar just <laughs> wanted him to, you know, make deals and then go away. And so they were very annoyed that he was hanging around all the time. And then he managed to, in his mind, get rid of Next because he, he sold it to Apple. And that's a whole story. And I was there. And it's, you know, very dramatic and everything. We didn't want to be sold to Apple because Apple at the time – was literally about to go out of business. They'd had um, mm. a whole bunch of CEOs that had driven the company into the ground. They didn't understand it, you know, et cetera. 
And we were starting to be successful. We had created a web product, uh, an early web product very early. In fact, the a lot of people don't know this. The web was created on the next machine. Hmm. The guy who created the web, uh, Tim, um, let's based on his last name, but, um, Berners-Lee. Yeah. Yeah. He, he created on the next machine and it might not have ever come about if he hadn't had that because it was an object oriented operating system. This is a very early object oriented operating system and that inspired him and how he structured HTML, et cetera. Anyway, so the web comes around because someone created on the next machine and we created a very early web product called web objects and we created a free version of it and all this anyway. Long digression here, but we were finally starting to be successful. And then Steve's sold next to Apple. And we just felt like, oh my God, we're, you know, we're getting tied to an anchor here. (laughs) Mm, And then it turned into the most successful business story in history, right? I mean, Steve didn't Mm. want to be part of Apple. He tried to stay out. But what happened was after they bought next, People started saying, well, Steve fooled Apple into buying Next, and they spent so much money on it, they're now going to go bankrupt, and it's all Steve's fault. And he really couldn't stand the idea of being blamed for the failure of Apple. Mm. So he sold all of his stock. I might put this at the end of the episode. We'll see. <laughs> he sold all of his stock as a uh, in Apple as a, um, you know, vote of no confidence and this caused a big crisis and then he came back and replaced the board and he became what he called the interim ceo he actually called himself the i ceo after the imac came out mm-hmm. um, because he didn't intend to be the ceo he just wanted to straighten things out uh get another ceo in place and then he could just go back and be at pixar but in the meantime he met johnny ives the designer and they developed the iMac together. Mm. And he was reintroduced to his love because that's what he understands. He understands hardware and software, but especially hardware. And meeting, having someone like Johnny that he could really collaborate with and come up with really innovative hardware. And if, I don't know if you recall, but I mean, the iMac was really the first thing that, you know, started to bring Apple back. Um, well, I remember that there was an addition that had like the colorful transparent shells. Yeah, it was like aqua yeah. and orange and stuff like that. And and then the later iMac was basically a big TV with a computer built into right, it. That's, right. I had one of those. The whole idea, and part of, of what where Steve was defying uh, everyone else on that is that, you know, on the PC side of things, it was all devolving towards you buy the individual pieces, right? You buy the... CPU, you buy the monitor, you know, the sound, they're all different. And Steve was like, no, I think people want an integrated system. And mm-hmm. and that's what the iMac was. And it was very successful. And it started the turnaround. And then Steve became kind of got in love with Apple again. And eventually he sold Pixar to Disney and became the full-time CEO at Apple. So, you know, it's a long way around to it. And, and then uh, so a lot of people from Next had gone to work at Pixar and Pixar and Next worked together. And in fact, uh, I ran a team uh, that did documentation stuff and technical writing. And we developed software to, uh, you know, an editor uh, for creating documentation. And we ended up giving that to Pixar and supporting them. So uh, uh, hmm. especially around the time that they were doing um, 
Oh, the robot one in space. Uh, Wally? Wally. We were supporting their teams and going over there and everything. So so I knew yeah. people there. I actually created software that they used at Pixar and that's and, and went through this whole experience. And uh, that's my very long digression that I'll probably put at the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> at the time, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg was a major executive at Disney in charge of their animation department. And when... Pixar was going to do so he and then he had a big falling out with Disney and he left and created his own company or created uh, SKG which was Spielberg and Katzenberg and the other guy um and you know they ended up doing Shrek so they were successful with a number of things but um mm. he decided to really go after Pixar so when he heard that Pixar was doing a film about ants he had them fast track their own animated film about ants that was called ants with a z and mm-hmm. it had woody allen as uh, voicing the main character mm-hmm. and i loved toy story but at the time i actually thought ants was a better film because it was a more adult film and i thought the script was better than bugs hmm. life now i haven't gone back and rewatched ants so i can't really do the comparison but uh i had I guess I'll just say right up front, you know, uh, I found the film to be much better than I remembered it in terms of the script and everything. So, Bugs Life, that is. So. Hmm. So, we will see. So, there was all this drama going on between Next and Pixar and, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg. And he did it a couple times. Like, he kept making films on the same topics that Pixar was doing. It was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, well, with that, uh, let's head into the film here. So it's kind of interesting because it's very hard to understand now, you know, of course, how groundbreaking a lot of the animation Pixar was doing. So with these very first shots, we get these really nice landscapes and plants and and everything. And But it's also from a modern eye, you know, um, it's a little bare, right? Like they're, they're lacking a lot of texture and stuff, especially I noticed in mm. the wide shots. Um, you know, they would show these, these like the dirt and everything, and it would just be these um, kind of chunks of dirt, but there was no texture in it right mm. which any iphone today <laughs> the you know the game or something you would be able to to render lots of texture for all that so you can just tell that it was early animation and you know they didn't have the power oh, and yeah. worked all that out yet some of what as we see like so you know we see this landscape and then we see these ants who are gathering food and part of what was you know really groundbreaking at the time is that there was translucency through the leaves which you know that's a major breakthrough to be able to do that kind of thing in animation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we see all these ants and they're they're manually collecting resources and passing them off to each other, right? So there's lines of ants and uh, and then they the people who collected are walking along in a line as ants do. And yeah, there's a there is a pretty funny thing. And there's a lot of funny bits in this, uh, you know, oh, right yeah. up front where this leaf comes down and uh, into the path that they're walking in and it completely freaks them out. Like, what do they do? You know, something is, <laughs> something is blocked. Yeah, the they're, path. they're following the scent trails left by the previous ants. 
Yeah. And they have like a specialist who comes along and he's like, it's okay. We're going to deal with this. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not as bad as the, the twig event of a couple of years ago. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, and he sort of psychologically helps them decide to go around the leaf, which they're, they have a real hard time with. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're introduced to the queen, which is Phyllis Diller. Uh, I like her voice. I like her character a lot. Oh yeah. And they, uh, they gave the, uh, the ant queen, they gave her some very convincing, uh, wrinkles, you know, like bags mm. under the eyes and stuff. You know, it's a, a good character design, I think. Yeah. And I'm sure that was a real challenge for them to do. And mm-hmm. she is training her daughter to replace her. It was Princess Ada, who is Julia Louis Dreyfus. And I always, it amuses me because, you know, out of Seinfeld, who would predict that the actor who would be most successful after Seinfeld would be her, right? I mean, the other mm-hmm. people who are in Seinfeld who are very talented, they really haven't had careers um, after Seinfeld, not very much. And Julie, and, and she has been in so many things. She's been in Veep and, you know, different movies and, and all this, and she's had just a hugely successful career. Mm-hmm. So she's, a, uh, you know, the the daughter here. And then her sister is a, a very young uh, aunt, uh, you know, daughter of the queen called Dot. <laughs> and she's a real go-getter, you know. She's uh, no, she's she's energetic and she's inquisitive and yeah. and she's uh well, it's it's been a long time now since I watched the movie, probably two and a half weeks or thereabouts. <laughs> but but uh, if I remember right, she was one of the few characters who pretty much uh stands by uh flick from start to finish yeah you know, when everybody else is down on him and she also has a group that's kind of the boy scouts or girl scouts or something of the ants that turns out to be helpful yeah they're called the blueberries or something yeah. like that i can't remember <laughs> i i did rewatch it today although i guess we can reveal to our listeners that uh for well, I guess about the second time in our history, we're we're redoing this one. We at least started it, but it just, you know, I wasn't prepared enough, and and it just wasn't working out. And then you were on vacation, so <laughs> here we are again. Yeah, uh, I just put out one we had done a long time ago where um, we redid it, and I had forgotten why, but it turned out that uh, oh, that was the one where your computer wasn't working, and we tried to record it on. Um, your iPad, and then the, and then it, we did the whole episode, and then it turned out the sound was really sucky, and so we ah. we redid it. Uh, uh, even though I was just editing it, I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> uh, 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 oh, it was Scrooge. Uh, oh. We, we did that twice. I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's how uh, <laughs> that's how on top of it we are in this podcast. First of all, we have that, and then we can't remember that we did it. <laughs> <laughs> So now we meet Flick. So he's the main character of the film, played by Dave Foley. And while the other ants are doing this very systematic manual gathering, he has this really sophisticated machine that sort of cuts apart the plant and, you know, automatically takes all the parts from it and spits stuff out. And it's at least a really good idea. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like a whole exoskeleton type thing, you know, this little rig. It's almost like a... Almost like Ripley's power loader in Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it seems very effective, but as is often the case with his plans, there's sort of some unanticipated stuff. So 
once he's done with a plant, it just rips it up and throws it behind him. And the problem is, and these are large, you know, very large plants compared to the size of the ants, is these large plants are dropping on top of the ants and like smushing them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's a bit of a problem. And, you know, I, I mentioned it's played by Dave Foley. So he was a member of Kids in the Hall, and I was a huge fan of theirs. So this is a comedy group out of Canada. A lot of people consider them sort of similar to um, Monty Python. Now, were they the ones who did the, I'm crushing your head, yep. I'm crushing your head? Yep. Okay, I, I I remember, you know, I don't know if I ever saw a full episode of it, but uh, uh, at the time, whoever I was hanging out with, they, they kept quoting that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, they had this interesting career trajectory because that show was great and a lot of people loved it and it was a cult classic. And then they had varying levels of success getting careers after that. In fact, Dave Foley was the most successful because he landed on a show called News Radio, which was a very funny, brilliant show. And Well, Phil Hartman was on that one, right? Yeah, and that's the tragedy because, okay, one of the um, – I think Andy Dick was yes. on that too. Well, that's the thing. So – this set of characters caused, and also Joe Rogan, this was where he first got to kind of his start too. Hmm. Uh, and he, and there's a tragedy involved there because Phil Hartman's wife had had substance abuse problems, but she was sober and there was like a Christmas party or something. And Andy Dick came over and he gave her some drugs or something and she got back in Mm. and whatever came out of all that she ended up while he was sleeping shooting phil hartman in the head yeah that's how he died so you have this really funny brilliant show and it was actually kind of just getting more and more brilliant and then phil hartman gets shot the actor's didn't want to do the show anymore without him. And the producers were focused on getting three seasons because if you get three seasons, you can go into syndication. And that's where, the mm. big, you know, that's where you make your money is once you get into syndication. Okay. Yeah. So they said, no, you have to keep doing it. And there's this extremely uncomfortable episode where if you, when you watch it, you there literally the cast is just depressed and, and, you know, you could just, I mean, it was just terrible. And they were just being forced to walk through this episode and you could just see it. And uh, then they brought in, um, oh, what's his name for the, the critic, the animated show? Uh, the, the, the critic, John, John Lovitz? Yeah, they brought in John Lovitz to replace Phil Hartman. Oh. And Andy Dick and he were at war with each other because Andy Dick was like, you shouldn't be here. And he's like, well, I wouldn't be here if you hadn't, you know, gotten his wife addicted. And <laughs> so, mm, yeah. so it was a really, uh, just massively uncomfortable. Although the show itself kind of recovered and got funny again over time. But just, you know, just a whole very weird thing. I'll, but I'll still say the first yeah. couple of seasons of that are, are really worth watching and they're they're really funny. Anyway, so with Kids in the Hall, you know, Dave Foley was the most successful. The others had varying levels of success, but none of them really broke out. And it's kind of, although uh, just in the last year or two, they did a new show on one of the streaming services, which I've heard is it's really good. And I haven't um, 
haven't gone back to watch it yet. Hmm. And Dave, uh, more of this digression. Uh, one of the weird things in all this time was that Dave Foley got divorced and his wife, and this is in Canada, and his wife got an agreement. I, I don't know how this works. I, you know, I don't know Canadian law, but that basically required him to make a million dollars a year huh. because that's what he was making at the time, you know, being on news radio. And then news radio ended and he's like, well, how do I make a million dollars a year? Like, you can't make me make a million dollars a year, but, <laughs> but that was the legal requirement. And he got into this bizarre circumstance, you know? Hmm. So, uh, I'll, you know, <laughs> as we talk about this, essentially kids animated film will bring all the, there's actually much more adult stuff I could talk about with Dave Foley, but all that, but I will, I will not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So getting back to the actual movie, uh, Flick, played by Dave Foley, has this machine that he's using to harvest stuff. And then everyone hears in the like incoming air stuff, and it turns out to be grasshoppers. We'll see grasshoppers are flying in. And this is what the, you know they've been collecting the food for. So everyone has to dump the last of their food on this leaf where they're putting it for the grasshoppers. And it's all there, and everyone goes underground because they just want them to take the food you know, and leave and not bother them. And Flick is the last one to get to the leaf, but, you know, the complexity of his machine and him being clumsy and everything, he manages to push the leaf over and it falls into a river, and so all the food is gone. Yeah, for some reason, this food pile that they've been building for presumably weeks on end, uh, they they built it right right next to a big ledge overlooking the river. <laughs> <laughs> Not good uh, planning there. Yeah. So the food being gone, the grasshoppers break through into the underground area, and the head grasshopper is called Hopper, uh, and he is played by Kevin Spacey. <laughs> so that's yeah. its own interesting story that we won't get into what happened to Kevin Spacey uh, eventually. But this is decades before that. Mm-hmm. He threatens them all, you know, and and – then insists that they're going to get, you know, not only get their food supply, but they're going to double it. You know, they have to actually do twice as much food in a short amount of time before the rains come. And normally this would have been the time that having given their, you know, bounty over to the grasshoppers, they would have been collecting the the last bits of food for themselves uh, before heading into winter. But now they're not going to have any time to get food for themselves because they're going to be just getting food for the grasshoppers. So, you know, uh, so we have here the grasshoppers and Kevin Spacey are in, in the classic Seven Samurai thing, right? The the people who are raiding the village and taking all their resources. <laughs> yeah. So Flick begs for forgiveness for having screwed everything up. And, you know, Dodd is the only one who believes in him. She actually likes his inventions. At some point here, Flick has this idea of, oh, we could go off and get some warrior insects who could, you know, defend us, right? So the classic seven samurai model. Hmm. And they all think this is silly, but then Princess Ada realizes if he is off trying to find warrior insects, the rest of them can get around to collecting the food and not being screwed up and distracted (laughs) by Flick, right? So they decide to send him off on a, you know, uh, silly. Well, what was it we used to call uh, the snipe hunt? Yeah, was that? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that uh, he's out of their hair. This is actually similar. We haven't watched this movie yet, but I'd love to watch it sometime. 
the movie Hot Fuzz, which is a comedy uh, mm, that I yeah, really love. So that a few years back, uh, I think uh, with you actually, you oh, were did, when I was there. Ohio. Okay, that's a great yeah. podcast. Well, it's definitely a worth watching for me. Like I'm going to pull you to the couch oh, yeah. if you haven't seen it, right? <laughs> and uh, well, you remember there's a scene in Hot Fuzz where the main character he's this you know too efficient cop who's making everyone else look bad, and so when um, they send him off to the boondocks, he's like, "Well, let's see what my colleagues will say." And then when he walks out, they're all cheering that he's being sent away, right? So they have a similar shot here where uh, Flick is, you know, leaving and, and the colony is clapping and cheering that he's that he's leaving. <laughs> and he heads to the big city to find these warrior ants. <laughs> it turns out not, I, it is pretty funny and pretty clever, right? The big city is like some trash boxes out in the middle of somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, it's a little mobile home on a hill way out in... You know the the sticks and uh, and the city is just all the garbage underneath the trailer. <laughs> yeah, they do a pretty good job of like, oh, there's all these different you know insects going around and and everything, and it seems very busy and stuff to to him who's who's from the Hicks or who is a Hick, you know, <laughs> from the mm. sticks, I guess would be the <laughs> right term. And uh, then we see some vicious beasts who are fighting in an arena, <laughs> and as they're fighting. Uh, there's a pill bug, I think. Is that what the flying one is, um, or is he? Um, he's something else, maybe. But uh, the, I think the two, the two that don't speak English, I think they're pill bugs. Yeah. If I remember. Yeah, you're right. I'm not sure what the uh, is he a potato bug? Maybe I think it's maybe a potato bug, the one that can fly and all that. And is that the real, real big guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think he might be like a Hercules beetle or something like that. I'm not certain. But <laughs> well, in the middle big, of this fight, he gets hurt and he starts crying. <laughs> and so it <laughs> kind of ruins the, the atmosphere. And it turns out this is a performance, not an actual fight. And there are these, they're pretty hilarious uh, throughout the movie. Uh, the audience, and so this turns out to be a flea circus. <laughs> and, uh, the audience are these stink bugs or, uh, or dung beetles or I th- something. I think they're house flies. I'm not certain. Well, I think it's I a combination because so. they talk, you know, yeah, I, ah, it's a combination. Yeah. But I think you're probably right. <laughs> but uh, they the the flies start leaving and one of them's like, I've been in outhouses that didn't stink that bad. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> later, I, there was a, another one that says a line that I thought was great. He's like, I've only got 24 hours to live. I'm not wasting my time on this. <laughs> <laughs> And so the uh, insect customers are demanding their money back, and the the owner of the circus is P.T. Flea, who is John Ratzenberger from Cheers, and mm-hmm. he's you know he one of his claims to fame is he's like the only person who's been a character in every single Pixar film, uh-huh. and he actually gets much more of a character here. A lot of times he's only in them for like a few seconds or something, but. Uh, Hmm. P.T. Flea is actually around for a while. Also, David Hyde Pierce from Frasier is in here, and he does a pretty good job as a stick, right? The uh, One of those stick insects. Oh, yeah. and he, he wants to be a serious performer, but they're always just using him for the comedy of him being a stick, which annoys him. <laughs> yeah, they'll use him as a broom handle and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um you know, the flies and such are, are disgusted and leaving, and P.T. Flea is desperate, and so he starts this routine. Uh, it's like the flaming death trick where he blindfolds everyone in the cast and puts them around, and he's going to throw a match that lights a series of matches, and 
you know, um, people are going to get burned and all this. So this kind of intrigues the flies to come back. But he throws the match too early and people aren't ready for it. And, like, everyone's screwed up and, you know, gets hurt. And, and uh, at the end, I think actually he gets, uh, like, um, you know, blown yeah, up by flames. He, he gets the wily e. coyote you know, treatment. You know, he ends up with the smoke rising off him and all yeah, that. He gets, so. so he's burned to a crisp, although he lives, but he's burned to a crisp. And this actually delights the audience. <laughs> they start they start coming back and getting interested in the show. It's funny, you know, we talked about, you know, this the big city and this pile of trash. And I, everywhere I've lived in my life, if it was a smaller place, there was the concept of the big city. So... I lived in Kelowna, Iowa uh, for a year. I was actually in a cult and stuff, and that's his whole own story. But, uh, you know, and Iowa City was the big city. Like, doing a trip to Iowa City was a huge deal, right? And, well, I, yeah. You know, I just, you know. It was it, always Cleveland for me. <laughs> yeah, but, so so that's where I live, so I'm in the big city compared to you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the meantime, uh, in all of this, Flick has seen some of this performance, but he doesn't know it's a performance. So he's just seeing these insects as, you know, warriors, and he immediately realizes that that's who he needs to hire. And this is, you know, directly out of Three Amigos, right, where the woman mm-hmm. sees the silent film and ends up hiring the Three Amigos. So it's pretty much right. the same same plot point here. So we have the standard part in a Seven Samurai film, right? You got to recruit people. Although, you know, where in Seven Samurai they go through the whole process, and in um, uh, the Magnificent Seven, where they go through the whole process of one by one recruiting people, he just recruits all of them at once, right? And and they think they're being hired for a gig. This is again just like Three Amigos, right? They think they're yeah. being hired for a gig, and they're being. Chased by some angry or disgruntled customers from the circus. Uh, So they're eager to beat feet out of there. Yeah, and they just got fired by P.T. Flea, right? Everything was going bad, and he fired them all. So they're like, okay, we'll go do this. (laughs) (laughs) And they come back to the colony with Flick. And there is something they do in here that some of the films do and some don't, right? It was a big deal in Seven Samurai that when the heroes first arrive in the village— Everybody is hidden, right? And it's all silent, mm-hmm. and they're offended by that. And some some of the films we've watched didn't do that, but this one actually does. Like, everybody hides when they come back, so they have that that plot point in here. And uh, But Flick introduces the circus bugs as warriors, and everyone welcomes them as heroes, and they're also, you know, especially Princess Ada is like, well, wait, he wasn't supposed to actually do this, right? We were just... <laughs> sending him off to to distract him so she didn't expect this. <laughs> there's uh they have some pretty funny things here where the little um ants, you know, in the different cl- classrooms uh do performances for them <laughs> and one of them is like the second grade class they did a mural on a leaf of the warriors and it's like they're all like cut in half and bloody and they're like, well, our teacher said it would be more dramatic if you were dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and then there's a, uh, another group does a play, you know, showing the warriors defeating the grasshoppers, but then the warriors all die. <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty <laughs> gruesome. And eventually the circus bugs realize they've been mistaken for real fighters. Uh, and at the same time, Flick learns their true identity, but he decides to keep it secret, hoping... You can make this all work. Once the circus bugs 
realize that they're supposed to actually fight people. They they say, hey, we're out of here. <laughs> they decide <laughs> to leave. And what happens here, it's a pretty epic sequence, right, is they end up coming across a bird. And, and you know, for insects, of course, a bird is like the ultimate enemy. Right. And they have this whole long sequence where the bird is coming after them. And they do some pretty clever, you know, fighting together to figure out how to how to deal with it. Lots of acrobatics and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah and they're, you know, flying around and, you know, yeah, et cetera. It's like, like having a helicopter or something and and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end, you know, the the ants have seen this and now they're really, really enthusiastic because now they know these warriors are really great because they, they defeated the bird. And that gives Flick an idea that, you know, the grasshoppers would be scared of a bird. So he suddenly has this idea that they could create an artificial bird. And we we had a little foreshadowing of that earlier when uh, Hopper's brother, who was kind of Mm. a big, dumb, (laughs) loudmouth type, yeah. He was telling about the time that a Hopper got captured by a bird and he was screaming and terrified and all that, which... Of course, Hopper made him shut up right away. Uh, but uh, but that that planted a seed in Flick's mind for later. Yeah, so Hopper's brother is played by Richard Kind, who uh, I, I've i seen him in a number of things, but I got to know him in Mad About You, uh, that TV series. Mm. Uh, uh, he's also I remember your, your enthusiasm. Uh, Helen Hunt and uh, uh, Paul Reiser were yeah. in there. Right? Yeah. Uh, and he oh, played a regular okay. role for a number of years. So he does a really good job here as the doofus, uh, doofus brother. So having seen the circus bugs, you know, defeat this bird, the colony goes all in for Flick's idea to build an artificial bird. And in fact, instead of collecting food, they just focus on helping build this artificial bird so we'll see you know that will have consequences Hmm. and meanwhile we have uh you know the other classic thing in a seven samurai film the circus bugs you know help teach the people how to fight uh and help them build the fake bird so we get our montage sequences and princess ada is now starting to appreciate flick and kind of growing closer to him and you know the colony is feeling hope they can they can defeat the grasshoppers (laughs) <laughs> then we switch to the bad guys and this is pretty funny because they're um they're in a bar it's essentially a mexican bar because they're under like this straw hat that's like a mexican style straw hat that's in the middle of the right, desert like a sombrero <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh there's a bar there and they're having fun and you know uh drinking and and partying and and they actually have everything they need, you know. They don't. They don't really need to go and raid the ants again. And and in fact, Hopper's brother uh, is like, "Hey, why don't we not do this? You know, we can just stay here and and party." And then <laughs> Hopper um, gives this speech about how you know it's not about the food; it's about controlling the ants. Because if the ants realize that they outnumber the grasshoppers a hundred to one. The grasshoppers will be in trouble, and and their gravy train will be over. Yeah. Um, so they've got to go back and intimidate them to keep them, you know, uh, in order. And uh, they do this funny thing we've seen it earlier too, which is uh, they say let he's like let's ride, and they all kind of you know they're 
uh, their wings sort of start up, and it's very much like motorcycles, and then they shoot up through <laughs> like the holes in the in the hat. Right? It's pretty clever how that works. <laughs> oh yeah. And so back with the good guys, you know, the bird, the artificial bird is being finished, and the deal that Flick has with the circus bugs is that once the bird is finished, they can kind of slip out the back without anyone noticing. And, and meanwhile, the ants will use the birds to defeat the grasshoppers and the circus bugs don't have to fight. Um, but it turns out the circus bugs have gotten fond of the ants and they decide to stay and help out. Yeah. Well, they, they all have their own little fan clubs among the ants, you know, like the blueberries, the little mm. uh, scout troop, you know, they all admire the, the ladybug and you know, so forth. <laughs> <laughs> there's a weird, I don't know if they would have done this now or not, because there's this weird trans-related thing, because the ladybug is actually male, and I, I don't. I didn't look up ladybug mm-hmm. stuff and all this, but and it gets annoyed at everyone assuming that he's a female because he's a ladybug. <laughs> and, right. Uh, but he sort of comes to accept it uh, uh, throughout the film, so I guess coming to accept his maybe true identity, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> The colony is really excited. They finish the bird, you know, and the circus bugs are there ready to help them fight. And then we have a twist because P.T. Flea arrives. You know, he's got these, like, uh, centipedes that, uh, you know, drive his carriage, which is like an old, you know, box of medicine or something. Um, yeah, you, you know, I just, I just realized I don't know if you remember these, but but animal cracker cookies mm. used to used to come in mm. these boxes that looked like circus wagons. Yeah, you know, they yeah. had the cages on the sides, and I believe that's what that's what his little caravan was. His two little wagons were yeah, animal true. cracker boxes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he is you know tells them that he's been to lots of different ant colonies and he's looking for these circus bugs and he and kind of i think similar to the to the style of the animal boxers you know the cracker boxes he rolls out a poster that has a that has a drawing of all the different circus bugs and suddenly the ants realize that the bugs who have been helping them are actually performers and not warriors <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he wants them back because it turned out that the, the you know, fire death routine was so popular that everyone is, like, lining up to see it again. So he wants them yeah. to come back. <laughs> he yeah. figures he'll just set himself on fire, take a little while to recuperate. And yeah, he says, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll do it twice a, twice in a day, then I'll take a day off. <laughs> um, so this totally, you know, deflates the ants because now they're like, oh, this plan isn't going to work. It's a stupid flick plan. And we haven't, you know, gathered any food. We're in trouble. So they start gathering food as quick as they can. And they abandon their plans. So the colony feels betrayed and flick is shunned. And the circus bugs feel guilty about all this. And they're leaving, but then Dot stops them and convinces them to stay and help out Flick. And, you know, the grasshoppers return, and the the ants have not been able to collect very much food at all. Hopper is really pissed off, and he takes control of the colony, and he insists that not one ant is going to sleep until all the food has been collected. Meanwhile, the younger ants, the uh, blueberries, you know, they retreat to their hideout, and... 
Dot overhears from some of the bad guys that once the food has been collected, Hopper is going to kill the queen to show who's boss. So she, you know, goes back and tells the blueberries this. Uh, and actually, as part of that, you know, she has to escape the grasshoppers. And she, uh, we, we didn't really talk about this, but part of the plot thing with her, the theme with her is that she had these little tiny wings and she can't fly yet. And Right. But then in the process of escaping the grasshoppers, uh, she jumps off of a plant and and learns to fly. <laughs> yeah, her wings have just gotten big enough. <laughs> yeah. So Flick and the circus bugs are being taken back to the city by P.T. Flea and his, you know, <laughs> his animal cookie uh, uh, contraption. And Dot flies to them and tells them that the queen is going to be killed. The circus bugs say, hey, why don't we use your bird trick? But Flick is now completely depressed. He's like, it's not going to work. It's just another one of my stupid plans. <laughs> and it's a failure just like me. But the circus bugs talk him into returning. And so they come back and they confront Hopper and kind of, you know, manage to show that the ants are not slaves to the grasshoppers. And then, uh, you know, the they roll out the bird. And it works really well for a while, right? It's this, you know, mechanical mm-hmm. thing that they're inside, kind of like, a, you know, Roman slaves in a, in a boat, right? They're, they're kind yeah. of rowing to <laughs> fly it. And, you know, it's pretty terrifying and it scares the hell out of uh, Hopper, who, yeah, as you mentioned, his brother had said earlier he had been scared by a bird. So, right. So it freaks him out and it's flying around and they're all starting to run away. But then <laughs> P.T. Flea, who's trying to save his business thing, he, has the, he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, he's not in on the trick. Yeah. And he has the idea of using his fire trick on the bird, which unfortunately works, right? He manages to catch it on fire, (laughs) and that brings it to the ground. The fake bird, now having been defeated, Flick has an idea, and he gets Hopper to chase him. Because a lot of the other grasshoppers are already demoralized and scattered at this point, Right. Uh, so Flick gets Hopper to chase him, and what he does is he leads him to that actual bird that they had encountered earlier, the one who gave me the idea for doing the artificial bird. And uh, it's actually pretty gruesome because that bird catches Hopper and feeds it to its children, right? It's like, wow, this is a, yeah. a kid's animated film, and that's pretty gruesome. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, we don't actually see the gory part, but we definitely <laughs> see that he's about to get uh, munched on. Yeah. <laughs> so then the remaining grasshoppers have been chased away, and the ants celebrate their victory, and the circus bugs, you know, say their farewells and they depart. And Flick and Princess Ada become a couple. And now it's okay for him to do his inventions. You know, they're <laughs> they're not going to stop him. Yeah, and we actually see a scene of uh, several ants using those power loader things that he <laughs> yeah. had developed at the beginning. And the yeah, and the colony flourishes. They have a newfound sense of independence and teamwork. And uh, <laughs> and then we get. At the end, and this is something Pixar sort of innovated that became common later, which is they end with a bunch of blooper reels where, you know, they, you see the characters breaking character and, and making jokes and that sort of thing, which mm. um, what I recall that from, I don't know if you watched these, was the Cannonball Run films and stuff, those uh, uh, mm. Bert... I- um, I, I remember Cannonball Run. I, I don't know if I ever actually watched it, but I certainly... Uh, I was aware of it just through, you know, Mad Magazine and Crack Magazine and 
how those other 70s stuff. I mean, I haven't seen them since I was a kid. I think they were not good films, but, you know, they were, I think, pretty successful, and they did make fun of themselves, and then at the end they would run these blooper reels. Uh, So, Hmm. yeah, this is, I think, a callback to that sort of thing. So, you know, we're watching this in the context of Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven, and also, of course, we... Battle Beyond yeah, the Stars. Yeah, Battle Beyond the Stars, uh, <laughs> et cetera. So, so where where would you place this? Uh... Ah, no, I definitely wouldn't put it above Three Amigos. That's uh, <laughs> that's an all-time favorite of mine, but uh, um, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a kid's movie with some adult humor in it, like so many of the... Pixar-style movies. But uh, some of the jokes are quite funny, actually. The uh, I could have used maybe a little more variety in, in scenery, but that's, you know, the story is, that's the nature of the story. You got the little ant island, and that's where most of the stuff's going to happen. Overall, uh, it's, uh, it's a good one. I, I think yeah, I, I I wouldn't say I'm crazy about it, but I liked it. I'd I'd recommend it, but uh, especially especially if you've got kids who might be interested in seeing it, I think it's <laughs> ideal for kids probably. Yeah, as I foreshadowed, actually, I think I enjoyed it more now than when I first saw it. I I, I think the story is more solid than I thought. Then there is a a key difference. They I mean they take off on a lot of the Seven Samurai formula, right? I mean they use a surprising amount of it. But a key difference is that Seven Samurai and, to some degree, Magnificent Seven were about the team that was put together, right? And while, of course, the circus bugs are are a key part of the film, this is really about Flick, you know, the guy who went to get them. And that, that, the people who went to do that in Seven Samurai were... They were characters, but they were relatively minor characters in the film. They, and and Flick is absolutely the the main character, right? And it's really about right. him kind of, um, you know, proving himself to everyone by by getting this plan together and and doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd say Seven Samurai was much more the head of the Seven, right? Who was who played that role, uh, or at least was sort of the main character of the film, right? And these uh, these samurai bugs, they they do get a lot to do in the movie, and they all have their own personalities and so forth. So in that in that respect, it's a lot like the original Seven Samurai. But uh, but you're right that the focus is ultimately on Flick, one of the villagers, rather than on the samurai themselves. And of course, I mean, which something that makes sense for a children's film. They don't have any of that idea that, oh, there's like some dark past to the villagers, right? So Seven Samurai had that uh, big time where they had killed previous samurai and taken their armor. Oh, yeah. And Magnificent Seven had it in that a bunch of people in the town are racist, right? And and they sort of kick off with those people trying to prevent them from taking the Indian guy to the, uh, to the cemetery, right? Um, right. But here, of course, you know, everybody in the colony is, is good and there's no, you know, they might be incompetent or they might, you know, have the wrong idea, but nobody's like bad or has a bad history or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so a couple differences there. But, uh, yeah, I feel like 
For the idea of doing an animated film with insects for kids that take Seven Samurai, I think they they were very faithful to the formula, and they also brought their own stuff to it. And uh, the whole idea of the mm-hmm. circus bugs, I think, is great, and all the you know the jokes and pratfalls and everything you get with <laughs> the circus bugs is pretty fun. Oh yeah, and the uh, the way the bird plan pans out is satisfying. You know, you I remember thinking it's it sounds like the kind of plan that's uh just doomed to fail from the outset you know it's putting all your eggs into one basket but uh but the plan actually goes very well it um it does eventually crash and burn literally <laughs> but uh but by then they've already demoralized most of the grasshoppers um so it really uh really turned out pretty well and it was uh, impressively planned out you know when they're building it we don't get to well it's like that thing you say like if when they don't give you the details of Mm -hmm. the plan that probably means that it's going to pan out uh, to some extent and uh you know we didn't learn all the details of the bird like the the, you had all the uh galley slaves lined up (laughs) inside and so forth or that it was on the big long vine so it would keep swooping around indefinitely you know stuff like that so that was that was fun. There was uh, some some unique little tricks in here that added their own wrinkles. Yeah. So I would say it's it's worth watching. I probably agree with you. I mean, probably Three Amigos, especially for an adult, is is funnier. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it is a very silly movie. But if you have patience for that, then uh, yeah, then you got no problem. <laughs> <laughs> They don't have a male plane joke in, uh, in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what this movie's missing. <laughs> okay, well, next up, we have our final installment. Uh, we will be watching an episode of the animated, another animated one, Star Wars The Clone Wars, uh, Season 2, Episode 17, The Bounty Hunters. So we'll see uh-huh. how that uh, holds up. I will say I have not. I've watched only some of them, but when I delved into the animated Star Wars stuff, it was surprisingly good. I mean, so so much. You know, of course, we have this ongoing. I think our entire life is you and I as a conversation about the prequels uh, in Star Wars. But uh, <laughs> the the animated stuff that kind of you know fleshed out the prequel stuff was way better than the actual prequels. <laughs> so, and and that was done by Dave Filoni who now, you know, is a big part of, like, The Mandalorian and the stuff that's kind of been the higher quality uh, recent Star Wars stuff. But, hmm. So we will we will delve into that next time. Then we'll be back to some Doctor Who. Then we'll be back to some Kurosawa. It just goes on and on. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Speed. Marker. And action. Are you saying I'm stupid? No. Do I look stupid to you. <laughs> Are you saying I'm stupid? Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got it. No, no, no. Just do it again. I'm fine. Are you saying I'm stupid? Yes! <laughs> this is the 15th take. I cannot work like this. I will be in my trailer. <laughs> 